You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. Hey, this is Dan Savage, and you have downloaded successfully the Savage Love Podcast, the once-a-week audio version of Savage Love, my syndicated sex advice column. We're going to get right to the calls, but if you want to uh, give us a buzz sometime and record a, your sex question, the number here at Savage Love Podcast is 206-201-2720. Call, record a question, and the tech savvy at risk youth will forward it to me. So here we go. Let's get to the first question. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a straight male in San Francisco, California. I come from a big Irish Catholic family. Uh, several of my cousins at this point uh, have come out of the closet, and I'm very supportive of them with, with a lot of their you know, parents and grandparents and relatives aren't. Um, you know, and I've always considered myself, you know, very, you know, very liberal, very kind of open-minded, but I, I, I feel vaguely uncomfortable when I'm around them, and it's not their sexuality, it's not their, um, you know, their life choices, it's that I feel like I should be representative of something or, you know, accepting everyone with open arms, and, uh, you know, I just, I feel that that's created a distance between us, so if, help me out. Thank you. All right, so you've got some uh, faggot cousins, and you want to know how you can get them to understand that you're totally down with the whole uh, pole-smoking sodomite thing. Uh, the last thing you want to do is come across like the guy who meets a black guy and goes out of his way to demonstrate that he's, you know, not a racist, and in so doing comes across as totally racist because you're kind of objectifying this person as not an individual and a human being, but just you know, the tip of the iceberg that is his race or a representative of his race. Uh, what you need to do with your cousins uh, when you hang out with them is be cool about their sexuality and treat them like you would treat anybody else. If you feel like they're pulling away from you because they presume that you're not cool with their sexuality, uh, that could very possibly be happening. That sometimes does happen. There's a lot of gay people who come out and are fearful of their family's reaction and will read things that aren't true into, you know, normal family interactions or silences or whatever because they're a little paranoid and a little sensitive. Uh, it's not the same thing as, you know, telling your new black friend that you really love P. Diddy's clothing line or whatever idiot move you might make in that arena. Uh, but you can uh, tell them, uh, you know, give them a call that you wouldn't normally give them perhaps. Uh, you know, most people have a sort of see at Thanksgiving, see at funerals relationship with their cousins. But if you want to go out of your way to reach out to them at this time, uh, now's the time to do it. Now's the time to, like, give them a buzz and say, hey, you're out now. I think that's great. I have gay friends. I'm totally down with it. Uh, if there's any family conflict about it with anybody else, I just want to let you know that I'm totally on your side. End of discussion. And you never, ever after that moment have to address it so directly or explicitly ever again. You just need to treat them like anybody else. Uh, what they're going to want to see from you over the next 20, 30, 40 years is, uh, you know, if you get married, that they get an invite that uh, is for them and a guest, or if they have a long-term partner or a boyfriend, them and that person's name correctly spelled on the envelope, uh, and they want to see themselves included in family events as a couple when they're part of a couple. Until that time, you just treat them like any other single. Uh, that's it. That's my advice. Good luck. Uh, it's a, a cool thing when you come out. Uh, I came out to a large uh, Irish Catholic family many years ago, and it's a cool thing uh, when you know that some of your relatives have your back when you suspect that some of them don't. Uh, so go ahead and make that phone call. Hey, Dan. I am a 61-year-old woman who is having the absolute best sex of my life. 
but I'm still a little bit squeamish about anal sex. And in one of your recent either columns or podcasts, you said that if you do it right, you won't have Santorum. So can you please, I know this must be an extremely basic question, but can you please tell me how do you do it right so you don't have Santorum? Thank you so much. Well, this is going to be a really gay show. Even though you're a lady, and I assume that you're uh your lady butt is getting fucked by your uh, male bow, which makes this totally heterosexual anal sex we are talking about here. Uh, it's going to be perceived as super gay after the last question, even though I was talking to a straight person. Now I'm talking to another straight person. We're going to talk about butt fucking, uh, which, you know, always has that gay glaze on it. Uh, so I apologize to the people out there who are straight or downloading the show who think it's just totally gay this week because, uh, you know, we're just talking about all this gay crap. People coming out, people getting fucked in the butt. I'd like to point out that uh, not everybody gets fucked in the butt is... Gay. Anal sex ain't necessarily a gay pastime. The Centers for Disease Control's National Survey of Family Growth, I don't know how families are growing from butt fucking, but those are the people in charge of this study. They reported that last year, 38.2% of straight men between 20 and 39 and 32.6% of women ages 18 to 44 engaged in heterosexual butt fucking. Woohoo! Yay! My work here is almost done. We can get once we get those figures over fifty percent, uh, that'll mean that straight people butt fuck just about as often as gay people. It's not all gay people butt fuck, truth be told. And uh, so this is a good thing. I think this is a terrific thing. I think it's a wonderful thing. Butts are there, uh, not just for sitting, but for enjoying. Uh, so how do you uh, avoid Santorum uh, with your heterosexual butt sex capades in your retirement? Um, here's what you do. Uh, it's not like you can take a pill. It's not like there's ever going to be the little brown pill commercials on uh, cable late at night. Talk to Have you asked your doctor about the little brown pill that will prevent Santorum? Uh, you need an all-around sort of healthy lifestyle. Uh, if you drink nothing but coffee and eat nothing but Burger King, your ass is going to look like the frozen yogurt dispenser at the back of a Burger King. It's just going to be a drip, drip, drip-a-thon. Uh, what you need are... Nice, firm stools and nice, regular bowel movements. Because the inside of your uh, guts there at the very end, it's not its not like a shit-streaked wall or anything. It's not like a sewer pipe that's just covered in slime and, and, and shit all the time. Um, you produce a thing if you are a hydrated person and a person uh, with a healthy GI. You produce a thing that sounds really gross, but it's your best friend, rectal mucus. And uh, your stools, if they are firm and solid, are sort of hurtled along by the rectal mucus without leaving a speck or anything uh, along your, you know, the inside of your rectum. So if you're having regular bowel movements, if you're a hydrated person, if you have, you know, a decent amount of rectal mucus, there shouldn't be anything in your butt uh, to make Santorum when you engage in butt sex. You have to know your body. You know, some people who have firm, regular stools most of the time can go and take a dump, and then they're good to go for anal sex uh, most of the time, that same person sometime, you know, maybe they had the pulled pork sandwich and it didn't work out for them, uh, and they'll need to take that weekend off, uh, the butt sex a thon. You have to learn your body, learn your body's response, uh, take care of yourself, be hydrated, get some exercise, eat right, get fiber in your diet, you know. Every time you have butt sex, <clears throat> you're having a Santorum issue or a shit everywhere issue, uh, you need to uh, buy some Metamucil and start stirring it into your cornflakes in the morning. Because that does, it sounds horrible, doesn't it? But you know what? It helps. Everyone wants to have anal sex, according to the Centers for Disease Control's National Survey of Family Growth. But people don't want to, you know, remind themselves at that moment that it is actually the uh, unlovely end of your uh, GI tract. And you need to 
you're going to use it for other things, you need to take care of it for its primary purpose, which is, I'll say it here um, for the first time ever, which is really not butt-fucking, actually. It really is uh, primarily an exit and only occasionally an entry. I can't shut up about butt-fucking today. Then you also need to embrace, you need to accept the fact that every once in a while, even if you're like a gold star blue ribbon butt fucker and you never have Santorum and things go out, come out of your ass cleaner than they went in, um, every once in a while uh, Santorum comes for us all. And you just need to, at those moments, jump in the shower. You can't be embarrassed about it. Uh, if you're the butt and you can't be a dick about it, if you're the dick, you just jump in the shower together shower off and uh, have your orgasms uh, in some other fashion. Hello, Dan Savage. Um, I'm calling you from California, and my question is uh, regarding the uh, loss of gag reflex from oral sex. Now, my girlfriend is a rather fastidious eater, and she cuts things into very small pieces, and um, uh, trims meat very uh, tidily and tries to eat uh, pieces of sushi in three or four bites, by which time it's completely dissolved into a pile of rice uh, on her plate. Now, I think she's just a finicky eater, but she claims she's uh, worried about uh, choking. And uh, the reason she's worried about choking is, um, again, because of this loss of gag reflex. Now, um, I think this is kind of silly, uh, what do you think? I don't know. Um, do do people who um, who deep throat and lose their gag reflex in this way put themselves in additional uh, medical risk as a result? Okay, uh, so your girlfriend deep throats your dick. Uh, I assume you never really say explicitly that she's worried because she's a world champion deep throater, uh, and she then therefore is worried because she has no gag reflex, so she has to eat or sushi one grain of rice at a time, lest she choke to death. Uh, if it were true, um, and I've seen no studies that prove it one way or the other, but if it were true that the loss of gag reflex resulted in people choking to death on a normal human-sized bite of a hot dog or a regular-sized piece of sushi roll, uh, there would be corpses uh, all over America being collected out in front of apartment buildings and suburban homes every Sunday morning. Uh, there wouldn't be a porn star left alive in Los Angeles. There would just be uh, a gag reflex accost every weekend as a result of the, of the fact that tons of people uh, are really good at oral sex. Tons of people are really good at deep-throating. Oral sex, which 30, 40 years ago was considered the absolute height of kink, is now, as I've said in the column a million times, standard and any model that comes without oral sex should be returned instantly to the lot. And that's not my way of oppressing women. I believe that men uh, are subject to oral sex coming standard as well, which means any man that comes without cunnilingus should be returned immediately to the lot. Uh, but there's tons of people out there, gay guys, straight women, uh, bi guys, bi women, who deep throat and are good at it, who've never choked on anything, uh, dick or sushi or hot dog or anything else. So I feel your girlfriend's fears are unfounded. But you know what? If she's deep throating your dick and the price you have to pay for that is that she makes a mess when she eats sushi, it's not too great a price to pay. So you can let her be the little paranoid cock sucker uh, while she eats her sushi if, if uh, she feels she must. Uh, but she's not going to die uh, from a piece of sushi roll uh, if she's a, a, a deep throater. If that were true, I have to say, uh, I don't want to blow my own horn because I'm not that limber, but uh, I've 
I'm pre- I have no gag reflex. I've totally beaten that out of myself, and I eat sushi all the time, and I'm still alive, and this has been going on for 20 years. So uh, I really feel that your girlfriend should look to the fact that I'm still alive, take comfort, and stuff the sushi roll down her throat. Hey, Dan. My name is Chris. I'm a 25-year-old gay male. I've been with my partner now for, oh, just about three and a half years. Uh, things have been amazing. We're absolutely in love with each other. Um, we've been best friends the whole time. We do everything together. But um, anyway, recently, things have kind of started to, I don't know, I guess get rough, which is expected after any relationship, you know, lasts this long. Um, um, recently, I've started bringing up the idea of possibly having a threesome or, you know, a foursome, whatever it may be. Um, I guess because I've never really known, you know, what it was like to, A, be with other people, um, B, you know, really be in the gay scene. Um, and he's never really liked the idea of doing the threesome. So, um, but finally, I think with my book, Two months ago, he finally said, okay, and we did it. We brought another guy in. It was fine. Everything worked out. We didn't regret it. Um, but apparently, he just did it to try and, I guess, get it off my chest so that it would never, you know, come up again. Um, but it has been brought up again. Um, I'm a photographer, and I've just recently been trying to get into the more erotic uh, type of photography and have asked him about it and photographing other guys, and he seems okay with it, but he's always in the back of his mind thinking that it's going to turn into, or at least try and turn into uh, something more like a threesome. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm not sure. I kind of, I think I know what your stand is on the whole, like, monogamy thing, and you, I believe, are supportive of, I guess, open relationships, and that's what we don't want this to turn into, both of us are really kind of the jealous type, and we don't want each other to go out on our own and, you know, be with other guys. If anything, I would love it to be with him, but he doesn't really feel the same way. So I guess my question is, can, I don't know, like what what do we do to, I guess, spice up the sex life without having a threesome? Or how do I get him to understand that I do want to be with him for the rest of my life? I'd like to point out that this is our first gay question. Hooray! Uh, all the other questions on this very, very special gay episode of the Savage Love Podcast have really been about straight people and straight issues. The straight guy wants to know how to react to his newly out uh, fag cousins. The straight woman wants to know how to get fucked in the ass without an amber-colored dick getting yanked out of her butt when she's done. Uh straight guy wants to know about his girlfriend paranoid about... Uh, deep-throating, and then dying and choking to death on a piece of sushi. Uh, these are all; these have all been straight issues and straight questions. But, of course, everyone who's listening to this who's uh, not gay is going to think it's been a totally gay program because it's been about coming out, getting fucked in the ass, and swallowing cock. And what's gayer than all those three things? Um, however, uh, I feel like we should take a gay question. So I'm taking your question, uh, which is super gay. Uh, terrifically gay, because you're a gay couple and you're thinking about having threesomes and you're taking pictures of naked guys and there's nothing gayer than that. Uh, but there's so much going on in your question and your long, rambling question that we're going to call you and draw it out a little longer. Okay, so uh, we'll call you Nancy. Perfect. Okay, Nancy. Uh, you've been with this guy, we'll call him Sluggo, for a while. Uh, how long? Uh, we've been together for just about three and a half years. And you're only 25. 
Only 25. And he's the first person you've ever been with. He's the first, yes. Well, the first guy that I've ever dated. So I you, dated a girl for almost a year. Wow. Well, really what were you nothing. thinking? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, he laughs. Okay, so <laughs> you want to have occasional three ways involving him so that you can experience some of the gay fast lane that you missed out on because you settled down right away. You guys own a house together. You're talking about adopting, right? Absolutely. And he's not so into the three ways because he's threatened by them? I. That's kind of how I see it. I think that he... He he's a very jealous type of person, and I kind of feel that I am too. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, he's always said that he wants a monogamous relationship. You know, he wants to be with me forever, and I totally agree. I, I okay. Here's the problem, and the thing that you need to let him listen to the podcast to hear me say: sometimes that impulse to I want to have a monogamous relationship and be with you forever they can be on a collision course because sometimes a commitment to monogamy or, or a hyper uh, sort of commitment to monogamy can destroy a relationship. I think that, you know, never seeing another person naked for the rest of your life uh, can uh, cause a person who wants to see somebody else naked every once in a while to subconsciously start to jettison and undermine and sabotage their relationship. You know, if the only way you're ever going to get what you want sexually is for the relationship that you're in to end, your dick is a powerful thing. It will make you end it. Right. You know what I mean? And two people who are together need to, like, figure out a way to compromise, figure out a way for them together to give each other what each other needs. He wants a lifelong monogamous commitment. It sounds like you want a lifelong commitment. Yeah, absolutely. But you want a sex life that occasionally involves another person. Right. But at the same time, I I don't want to do it. Because obviously if he doesn't want to do it and I try and push the subject, I feel like that's going to push us away right there. And I don't want that to happen. Well, then you need to decide whether you can just live without it forever, period, end of discussion. You know, most most male long-term couples, at a certain point, there is some outside sexual contact is the fancy pants term for it. Right. Um, and that's just a reality. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I think we should borrow from the straights when we're putting our little relationship structures together. Uh, you know, the expectation of a lifelong commitment, totally down with that. Having kids, like, nothing straighter than that, totally down with that, obviously. I did it. Um, but the assumption, you know, people aren't naturally monogamous. Even Bill Bennett, moral crusader, virtue crat, in a book that he wrote that I slammed, admitted that, you know, people aren't designed to be monogamous. And so when we make monogamy the cornerstone of our relationships, we are, you know, building our relationships on sand. Right. And he needs to understand that. That does not give you a, I get to cheat on him whenever I want, get out of jail free card. You know, See, and that's he, the other thing, too. People should, on, people should, let me finish. People should honor their commitments. And the problem sometimes for gay male couples is that many people, gay and straight, can't conceive of a gay relationship as anything other than absolutely strictly monogamous or they're in bathhouses together fucking 50 people a weekend. Right. Like, there's no in-between between being completely out of control and promiscuous and psychotically risky and taking crazy bullshit risks that nobody who wanted to maintain a relationship could possibly take, and certainly nobody who had a kid could possibly take, right. or being completely closed off to everybody else outside the relationship. And there's actually degrees in between those extremes. But go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say that that's another thing we've talked about, too, is, okay, let's just say we did it. We had, you know, our little three ways. Um, I guess we've both kind of come to the conclusion that we're afraid that eventually it's going to lead to an open relationship. 
Uh-huh. I mean, well, it won't, it won't lead to an open relationship unless that's where ultimately you guys go and you're comfortable with. Like now, with what he wants and you want now, an open relationship sounds like a scary thing and not what you want. It might be ultimately what you do want or where you do wind up 10 or 15 or 20 years down the road. But, you know, you are you use the term open relationship in a way that, you know, it sounds like, you know, a million people fucking all the time. Um, right. And it doesn't have to be that way. You know, openness doesn't necessarily mean carte blanche, and it doesn't mean anything goes. You know, there are degrees of openness. Like a door can be open a crack, or a door can be blown off its hinges. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and what you need to do if you guys are going to do this is find a way to approach it where it feels safe, where there are you, you come to an agreement about what's allowed and what's not allowed. You both have veto power over, if it's a third person, who that person is and what's going to happen. And you and you know to protect the the, the primacy of your relationship, you need that third person to always understand that they're a sex toy. Right. You need to treat them like a human being, except for when they're naked and you're treating them like a piece of meat. You need to treat right. them like a human being. You know this idea that you can just order people up, unless you're going to hire escorts, that you can just order people up and then you, they have to disappear into the ether. You know that's not how three ways work. No, you wouldn't want to be treated that way by a couple. And, and that, when we tried it once. How'd it go? I don't, and I don't know if I mentioned that. But, yeah, we did. We tried it once. It went fine. Neither of us regretted it. Um, we were drunk at the time. Um, but, I mean, we just kind of found the guy online. Um, mm-hmm. and we played it safe, totally. But And after the fact, we didn't regret it at all. Um, we liked it. But he told me that, you know, he liked it, but he was kind of – next time I brought up the threesome subject, he said, well, I was kind of hoping that – That was the end of it. That would have, yeah, that would have did it for you. As if the one time he got a blowjob was enough. <laughs> well, right. See, I know that he has to like it. and he, I mean, who wouldn't like the idea of, you know, having a threesome or a foursome with another couple or something? Right. I mean, that just seems hot. So I don't understand. Well, clearly he feels, I mean, if he did it and he enjoyed it, he just feels threatened by it. He feels like, you know, and, and he should because you should, you should approach it as if it is uh, potentially threatening if, you, if you're not careful and controlled. Because we've all seen couples, gay and straight, where openness becomes, or, you know, occasional outside contact becomes, you know, the beginning of the end of the relationship. Sure. Because the relationship always has to come first. Absolutely. Right? So what you need to do is establish ground rules that give you some comfort. Like, if it is, you know, can only be an online contact because we don't ever run into this person anywhere in our regular social lives. You know, my partner and I have had threesomes, um, and they've tended to be with... You know, beloved ex-boyfriends and uh, and really good close friends that we were kind of into, who we might have dated if we were single. Right. You know, and that's always worked for us. Um, but you know, if what works for you is slightly different, then you should you should do that. But you know, you set up your ground rules, right? Right. You know, it can't be this, it can't be that. You know, it has to be strictly safe. No fucking anybody else. That's just for me. You know what I mean? Whatever they are, whatever your comfort levels are, and then you revisit them because they may change. They may become more liberal and more relaxed, or they may become more conservative. Right. You know, particularly after you have kids, if you have right. kids. Right. Well, that helps. That helps. I mean, I, I wish that he could be here to, to ask questions, too, because I'd love to see what he has to say about all this, but I guess I'll find out sooner than later. <laughs> you can play in the tape. I will, absolutely. Nice talking but, um, to you. Yeah, you too. Enjoy Tacoma. And I appreciate, I appreciate your call. Okay, talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Well, that about wraps it up. Uh, the gayest Savage Love podcast ever, even though it was three questions from breeders and one from a very charming-sounding faggot who I hope works that all out with his, his uh, boyfriend. 
in Tacoma, Washington. All right, 206-201-2720 is the number if you want to phone in and record a question for the podcast, and I may call you back and nail you down about your question. And you downloaded this podcast at www.thestranger.com slash savage. Uh, you can download it there every Tuesday. And you can read me in the paper where you found me. You can read me online. I blog every day at thestranger.com slash blog. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you uh, again next week on the Southwood Podcast.